Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Port St. Lucie. Let's join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message, Love Life. All right, well, the title of my message, as I said, is Love Life. And I have to admit to you this morning that when I was a young man, I did not have the greatest love life. When I was in sixth grade, I asked a girl to go with me. That's what we said back in those days. Will you go with me? Okay, I don't know what you guys say these days, but I didn't have enough guts to say, will you go with me to her face, and so I wrote it in a note. Will you go with me? Yes, no, please circle one. (laughs) So I through a friend, I, w- I didn't have enough courage to do it to her, so through a friend, she got the note. Through that friend, I got the note back, I opened it up, and I was so happy, she circled yes. Okay, so, but, but here's what's weird. Even though we were going together, we never actually went anywhere. <laughs> I one day took my bike and rode it over to her house and knocked on her door, and, but she wouldn't let me into her house, and so, you know, the first week of seventh grade, I broke up with her. Again, <laughs> Not face-to-face, through a note, through the friend, and then later I was sitting on the bus and I got the note back that her friend had wrote, and and, and it said her name, the girl that I dated, well, I actually didn't date, but her name, she said, is too good for Mike Wiggins, and that ended that, okay? And so my love life did not improve in high school. Four years of high school, I went on a total of two dates. And so my first date, I actually kissed the girl that I uh, took out, um, but I was so disappointed because she had really bad breath. (laughs) And that ended that, okay? And so my second date in high school, I took another girl to our homecoming dance. But there was a problem. I did not know how to dance. And so she literally had the gall to dance with another guy, Tommy Hines. I still remember his name (laughs) 30 years later. This guy was like the disco king. I mean, I don't know if you guys remember Denny Terrio and Dance Fever. I'm really dating myself here, but I mean, they're on the floor. I'm standing like a wallflower, and they're on the floor doing the whole disco thing, and well, that ended that, okay? And so two dates, four years of high school. I graduated from high school. I started going to a Baptist church. Saw a girl that I liked, through a friend, got her a phone number, wanted to give her a call. So I gave her a call, but I didn't know what to say. So before the call, I actually wrote notes of what I would actually say to her. And I read the notes to her. It was the most awkward conversation I've ever had in my entire life. It was like, hi, how are you? I am fine, or whatever. And so she sent her friend, met me in the church parking lot. You know, she decided to go out with another guy. She didn't even dump me face to face, it was through a friend. That was my love life. It wasn't good, it was actually pitiful. But then I met Stacy, and everything changed. Thank God for his choice, right? And Stacy was warm, she was genuine, she had a real relationship uh, with Jesus. When we went out, we talked and talked and talked. I didn't need to write things down because we just flowed in our conversation. We dated for three years. We tied the knot on June 10th, 1989. And so now for over 27 years, 
Stacy has been my best friend, my lover. I can't imagine doing life without an incredible woman, okay? And so true love, true love is a blessing from God. If you have true love in your life, praise the Lord for that, right? Now, the Greek language is very descriptive. It has four words for love, but I'm just gonna put three of them up on the screen today. In the Greek language, there's eros love, there's phileo or filio love, and then there's agape love, okay? Eros love is sexual love. Eros, by the way, isn't it sad that the world has perverted eros love? We get our word erotic from eros, but did you guys know that Eros love that sex is a gift from God. Did you know that it was his idea? The world perverted it, but, but it was God's idea. And so the purpose of Eros love, by the way, the primary purpose is not to produce children. That's a great purpose, a secondary purpose. But the primary purpose of Eros love is that so a couple in the covenant of marriage can regularly express their love for one another in the most intimate, closest way possible. And as I said, it is an absolute gift from the Lord. But the Lord, how many of you guys believe that God really did create everything? You believe that? Right? And so sex was his idea. Well, the one who created everything in his word, very clearly, Old Testament and New Testament, has reserved sex for marriage. That's him. Either he's the boss or he's not. Now, people who think they know better than God go ahead and have sex outside of marriage, sometimes regularly, but they're really destroying themselves. And so sex is for marriage, period. And as I was thinking about that uh, last night, the Lord gave me some verses, and don't turn there, I'll just read it to you. Proverbs 5 says, Drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. What does that mean? That means that sex is to be exclusively expressed with the person that you're in a covenant with. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? In other words, should you be have, having sex with just anybody, with a multiple, uh, uh, multiple people? And by the way, quick side note. Um, this is why we have a children's ministry, right? Six, uh, uh, zero through sixth grade over in the Shine Building, right? So they can learn about Jesus and the Bible on their level and so that we don't have to be careful in the adult service to be able to talk about things that God wants us to talk about. So let your kids learn on their level. By the way, it's much more fun for them over there than it is here. He says, let them, your fountain, be only your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. As a loving deer and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. You say, that's in the Bible? Yep. <laughs> and always be enraptured with her love. For why should you, my son, be enraptured by an immoral woman and be embraced in the arms of a seductive? For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths, his own iniquities, and trap the wicked man, and he is caught in the cords of his sin. Eros love, a gift from God. 
Phileo love is brotherly love. It's where we get the term Philadelphia or city of brotherly love. Phileo love is the love that exists in a committed friendship. Friendship love, okay? And so the greatest example I can think of uh, in the Bible uh, for phileo love is David and Jonathan in the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. So eros love, sexual love. Phileo love, brotherly love. And then we have the highest form of love, and that is agape love. And that simply is sacrificial love. Now, the word agape appears many times um, in the New Testament. For example, in John 3.16. Everybody knows that verse, right? For God so loved. In the Greek, it's agape or agapao. So, for God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life, okay? So, for God so loved the world, he did what? Gave. And so, agape love is an act of sacrificial giving. It was a sacrifice for the Father to send the Son, his one and only Son whom he loved to the world to seek and to save those who were lost. And it certainly was a sacrifice for Jesus to hang the God-man on a cross and die for our sins. And so John 3.16 teaches us that agape love is sacrificial, but then Romans 5.8 says this, but God showed his love, agape, toward us in that while we were sinning, Christ died for us. You see that? For God so loved, agape, uh, God showed his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Okay, so what does that verse teach about agape love? That teaches that God's agape love is given to people who don't deserve it. While we were still sinners, not deserving his love, Christ came and died for us. And so from John 3, 16, and from Romans 5, 8, we see this definition for agape love, if you're taking notes, it's an act of sacrificial giving to those who are not worthy. By the way, you will never love that way unless you're a born-again, spirit-filled Christian. Because in our flesh, we don't do that. But when God invades our spirit, then he helps us. He loves through us. Agape love, the highest form of love. And somebody says, so Pastor Mike, you're trying to tell me that I'm supposed to love somebody who doesn't deserve it? Yep. Why? Because God loved you when you didn't deserve it. That's why. And so, sacrificial, and it's given to people who don't deserve it. And the word agape, by the way, is found in the very first verse that we're going to study today. So please look now at Romans 12, verse 9. He says, let love, the word there is agape, be without hypocrisy. Okay, so stop right there. The word agape sets the stage right there in verse 9 for the rest of our chapter. Okay, and so in chapter 12, verses 9 through 21, the Apostle Paul is going to describe agape love. He's going to tell us what it looks like. So my question for you, answer in your heart, is how is your love life? Okay, well, let's find out right now. We're going to read verses 9 through 21, and then we'll go back. 
Verse 9, let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with, in the Greek it's Philadelphia, with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Not lagging in diligence, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, uh, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, and given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. And if it's possible, I love that. Paul knows it's not always possible. But if it's possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? All right, so what we're going to do now is we're going to go back, verse by verse, and we're going to look at eight ways to have a really strong love life. There's so many more than eight, okay, but we only have so much time. Okay, so eight ways how to have a strong love life. Let's pick it apart. Look at verse nine. He says, let agape love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And so how can I have a, a strong love life? Number one, if you're taking notes, is be genuine with others. Be genuine. Be sincere. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. The word uh, hypocrisy uh, in the original language speaks of an actor on a stage, somebody who wears a mask, someone who plays the role of somebody else. He becomes somebody he is not, okay? And so that's what the original word means. But what do hypocrites do? I'm not talking about actors now on a stage, but in real life, okay, what do hypocrites do? Here's what they do. They say things they don't mean in order to get what they want. They have ulterior motives, selfish, self-centered motives, and what they do is that they, they use relationships to exploit people, to manipulate people. They say things they don't mean in order to get what they want. For example, a, a guy says to a girl, oh baby, I love you so much. But he knows in his heart, he doesn't really love her. He doesn't want a commitment with her. He just wants her to have sex with him. And so he says sweet things so he can get what he wants. He puts on a mask, plays a role for his own selfish motives. What is he? He's a hypocrite. He's a wolf. Ladies, wake up. 
right? Don't follow the wolf. <laughs> Break it off with the wolf. You have politicians. What do politicians do? They say things they don't mean to get what they want. They put on a mask, right? They make all these big promises about how wonderful things are gonna be if they get elected. But they know as the promises are coming out of their mouth that they're actually empty promises. They know it. What are they doing? They're being hypocrites. Person comes to church, acting all spiritual, but God knows that person isn't there to worship God, that person isn't there to serve other people, that person is there to promote their business. And the way you can tell that is because in the foyer and over on the courtyard, they're passing out their business cards. They come in, they put on a mask, they act all spiritual, but the reason they're here, again, it's for selfish gain. They're hypocrites. Now, I'm not saying never pass out your business card. If, if you're in a converse, if you come to church really to worship God and really to serve people and that's your motive, God knows your motives. And if you happen to be in a conversation with somebody and you're talking about what you do for a living and you have your business card and they need your help, give them your business card. I'm talking about people, that's their motive for coming to church. Here you go, here you go, here you go. Please keep your business cards at home. This is not, Sunday morning is not for that. Okay, so what would happen in the church if we all, all of us, really were true and genuine and sincere? What would happen in this church if we all took off our masks? What would happen in this church if when we were talking with somebody or in a relationship with somebody, we didn't have some kind of ulterior motive to see what we can get from that person, but we actually, honestly, before God, the only reason we're having a conversation with this person is because I want to be a blessing to this person, I want to serve this person, I want to help this person get closer to Jesus Christ. What would happen in the church if that's the attitude that everybody had? What would happen is there'd be a revival in this church. People say, you gotta pray more for revival. Listen, I believe so much in prayer, but I think revival's gonna come when the hypocrites take off their masks and they're just sincere and genuine. Hey, just be sincere and genuine. God can see right into your heart anyway. Look at verse 10. He says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, that word is respect, giving preference uh, to one another. Okay, so how can I have a strong love life? If you're taking notes, number two, be respectful to others. I love Paul's statement. In honor, giving preference. Okay, listen, giving preference to others. That means when you're in a group and you're walking up to a building, you stop and you open the door and give preference to them. That means when you're driving on a, um, a road that's got two lanes that are about to merge into one lane, okay, and there's a guy next to you, you don't hit the accelerator, right? In order to beat that guy, you slow down, you give preference to that person. I saw down in West Palm Beach over on Haver Hill Road one day, there was uh, two lanes merging into one. Neither guy who they were driving, they were both speeding up, neither guy would yield, and they literally began to hit each other. Sparks were flying up. 
I think, is it really worth it? Now you got to go get your car fixed. Just chill out on the road. Let off. Give them preference. You say, Pastor Mike, what happens on the road should stay on the road. <laughs> Listen, we're in the part of Romans where it's intensely practical, okay? That means when the family gets together for dinner, you don't go for the chicken breast first before everybody else gets it. When there's only a little bit of seconds left over on the stove, you don't run over and get your seconds before everybody else. You give preference to one another. Guys, when you go on a date with your girlfriend, your fiance, your, your wife, you hold the car door open for her. You get to the restaurant, you hold the restaurant door open for her. Maybe you pull the chair out for her before she sits down. And guys, of you who are dating, here's a great idea. Pay for the meal. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you use deodorant and mouthwash and pay for the meal, you're gonna do really good, right? So, so we're just talking about good manners, right? What happened to manners in our society? So be respectful, give preference to one another. But hey, when we uh, don't hold the door open, when we, when we hurry to be, to be first one to merge in traffic, when we talk over people, right? Uh, because our opinion is so important, we talk right over them. When we put ourselves first, we're not respectful, we're being rude. And moms and dads, teach your kids these things before they leave the home and we have to deal with them. All right, look at verse 11. He says, not lagging in diligence, I love this, fervent, everybody says fervent. That's a cool word. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. All right, how can I have a strong love life? Number three, be an example of spiritual fervency to other people. We need more of this in the church. The word fervent in the original language speaks of bringing water to a boil. Okay, so I, I think everybody knows how to boil water, right? You take the pot, you fill it with water, you put it on the stove, you put the pot on the burner. You never watch it because it will never boil, okay? So you walk away and you come back in a little while and what's happening? It's boiling, the water's boiling. Why is it boiling? Because of the heat from the burner, okay? And so in the same way that fire from a stove can cause water to boil, so the fire of the Holy Spirit can cause a Christian to boil. Boil over with love for Jesus. Boil over with passion for people. I'm not talking about faking it till you make it. I'm talking about sincere, genuinely. And so my question for you is, are you on fire for the Lord? Do you inspire other people to follow Jesus Christ? And then I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, because God can see right into your heart. Just be honest with him. He'd rather you be honest. And so if the answer is no, then, then here's my encouragement to you today. If you're not on fire, you're not inspiring people to follow Jesus, here's what you need to do. Get closer to the fire. You ever go camping and there's a fire, right? If you're camping in winter and it's 30 degrees, where's everybody at in the evening? They're not sitting in a lawn chair 100 yards away by themselves shaking. Everybody's around the fire. Everybody's got enough good sense to be around the fire, right? And so it's the same thing with the Holy Spirit. 
If you're way out here and you're freezing and you're cold and you're indifferent and you're callous and you're casual and you're lazy and you're slothful spiritually and you're dead, you feel dead inside, go up to the fire. He's not doing this. He's doing this. Come to me, right? Well, how do I do that? Well, you start by making a commitment every single day to get alone and get in your Bible. Read the Word of God. Meditate on the Word of God. Talk to God. Have your daily devotions. That's why you're feeling so cold, because you're not close to the fire. You do that by doing what you're doing today. Come to church. By the way, this service is getting really full. It'd be great if some of you guys could come to 1230. It'd be awesome. Get a DVR, tape the football game, and then you can fast forward commercials when you get home. It'd be awesome, okay? But, but, but have your devotions. And then, not only that, man, come to church. How many, how many of you guys really believe the Holy Spirit is here? He's here. And not only that, get in your small group, your life group. These are ways to get close to the fire. All right. Next verse, we've got to keep moving. Verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continually, continuing steadfastly in prayer. How can I have a strong love life? Number four, be patient with others. Here's the key, in difficult times. See, Paul said, be patient in tribulation. Anybody can be patient when life is good and everybody's being nice. How easy is that? But try being patient in tribulation. Try being patient when life is not good and people are not being nice. You see, when your toddler has a temper tantrum and you're still patient, mom, when your, your kids just can't seem to behave and you're still patient, when your teenager is a smart aleck and you're still patient, when somebody's mean to you on Facebook and you're still patient, when somebody cuts you off in traffic and you're still patient, right? I could go on and on and on with life examples, but, but that's when patience becomes a virtue. But the problem is so many people, they want a pass when they're having a bad day for being impatient and testy and sometimes even nasty, right? So they're having a bad day and and you say, what's wrong with you? And they say, leave me alone. I'm having a bad day. I can be like this. Oh, really? Oh, 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 so you get a pass for being testy and impatient and even nasty because you're having a bad day? I thought Paul said, be patient in tribulation. Well, how do you do that? Well, the key is at the end of verse 12. Look at it. He says, continuing steadfastly in prayer. There's your key. Ladies and gentlemen, it happened to me just this past week. You know, you have a busy schedule and, and things happen that you don't like what they happen and you know, you feel the blood starting. Okay, and so what do I do? What I do is I continue in prayer. I can't tell you the thousands of times that God has given me an attitude adjustment because I took time to pray before I did something about whatever is happening. 
And so that's the key. Continue steadfastly in prayer. God will give you an attitude adjustment, and then you'll be able, with his strength, to be able to be patient in tribulation. Does that make sense to you guys? All right, look at verse 13. He says, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. By the way, given to hospitality um, means uh, loving strangers. That means that when visitors come to Calvary PSL, okay, we love them. Do you know, and most of you know, just think back of when you went and visited a church for the first time. You know how hard that is? You walk in, you don't know anybody. And how horrible is it when you walk in, you don't, you don't know anybody, and everybody's in their cliques, having a great old time laughing and joking in their cliques, and you're all by yourself. No, God says uh, to be hospitable there in the Greek, it's love strangers. And so here's a great idea for everybody. How about, how about if we do this? How about if you hang out with your clique before service, but then you look for a stranger after service? to talk to them and encourage them, or maybe reverse it so we're all not doing the same thing, okay? So maybe some of you before service, look for a stranger to love them, and then after service, hang out with your clique. Uh, that would be cool. But I wanna hone in on distributing to the needs of the saints, so if you're taking notes, number four, I'm sorry, number five, if you're taking notes, is give to others in their time of need. Distributing to the needs of the saints. All right, so five weeks ago, we gave the congregation a recap of our Haiti trip. We shared with you guys the great need down there with the orphans. We went to GVCM, Global Vision Citadel Ministries. We saw the hundred and whatever uh, orphans that were there. We did ministry around, around Haiti, and we shared all that with you five weeks ago. And I was so blessed to hear the great report of how many of you actually went out either to the table or went online and committed to sponsor an orphan. I thought, man, this is so cool. Until I found out this week when I went to GVCM's administration and I asked for a report. Not of names, I don't know anybody's names. By the way, I don't know who gives what in this church, I don't even wanna know. Okay, so I just asked for a report, okay? So I found out that even though many of you committed to sponsor a child, many of you, it's been five weeks, have not done anything. You haven't sent any money in. And so my encouragement to you, please, this is not between you and me, it's between you and the Lord, is if you made a commitment, fulfill your commitment. Go to gvcm.org, Global Vision Citadel Ministries, and, and do what you committed to doing because we've been down there in the dirt. We've seen the great need that these kids have. They need our help. Now, some of you five weeks ago, you weren't able to sponsor a child. And the reason why is not because you don't want to, but because you don't have the margin in your finances. You have this big mountain of unsecured debt in your life, credit card debt, and you're living with this mountain, and you're discouraged because of the mountain, and you're thinking, I don't know how to move this mountain. I don't know what to do. And you're feeling hopeless because you don't have any margin. You're barely living paycheck to paycheck. Well, can I share with you that the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same things and to hope for a different result? Why don't you do something different? Did you know that God can move that mountain? 
So take a step of faith. This Wednesday, 7 o'clock, come to church, go over to the Shine Children's Ministry building, and go to our Financial Peace University class. Take that step. God will show up. And in FPU, you're going to learn how to develop a budget. You're going to learn how to live within your means. You're going to learn how to develop an emergency fund. You're going to learn how to avoid the use of, of, of debt and snowball your debt and get rid of your debt and save for the future and actually become debt-free, okay? So I'm sharing with you a way to move the mountain, and it's not going to move overnight. It took a long time to build the mountain of unsecured debt. It's going to take some time to get rid of it, but take a step. And here's why. Because when you get to that place where you're debt-free, where maybe all you have is your secured debt, which is your home, Okay, when you get to that place, you have some margin in your finances, and then above the tithe, as the Holy Spirit leads, hey, I want you to privately go help and bless this person. You can do that, and you know what joy you'll have? Man, it's amazing. You can support not just one kid, maybe two kids or more. And so there is hope. Come Wednesday night. You don't have to sign up for anything. Just show up at 7 o'clock this Wednesday. All right. We gotta move, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. (laughs) Bless and do not curse. We're actually gonna end the message with that verse, so let me keep going. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How can I have a strong love life? Number six, show sympathy to others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. The people in Bible days in the East, they still do. They have an easier time with this than Americans in the West. I don't know why, but when, when someone shares a sorrow with us, we, we fix it mode. Instead of just stop trying to fix it and just relate where they are and their emotion Like dominoes, you know, you match the number with the number, and so you match the emotion with the emotion, right? For whatever reason, we don't do that. It's a lost art in our society. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Here's my question. When someone is blessed, do you really sincerely feel happy for that person? Right, if you're single, and yet another one of your single friends gets engaged, Oh, look at my ring. And you're like, oh, I'm so happy for you, right? <laughs> God, what am I, chopped liver? What, you know? Somebody you know, a friend, maybe gets an inheritance from a long-lost aunt. Man, I got half a million dollars. Yay. <laughs> All right? The Bible says rejoice with those who rejoice. And then it says weep with those who weep. So, man, somebody loses their job, here's what we should do. We're busy, yes, stop your schedule, connect with that person. Man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can I pray for you? Um, You want to talk about it? Let me pray for you. This has got to be hard. Man, Father, we just pray. Do you do that? Do you weep with those who weep? Now, um, I, I rarely cry. I don't know what's wrong with me. I think I'm an alien, okay? But I don't think it's talking about literal, you know, weeping. It's, it's talking about 
being sympathetic, matching their emotion, taking the time to be a friend. I love the Swedish proverb, uh, shared joy is double joy, shared sorrow is half a sorrow. In other words, when somebody is blessed and they share that blessing with us, we rejoice, they rejoice, there's double joy. But then someone's having a hard time, they share that with us, we're there for them, we're a friend, we pray, we minister, and now their difficulty is cut in half. Look at verse 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble, and do not be wise in your own opinion. So how can I have a strong love life? Number seven, don't be arrogant around other people. You know, in Jesus' day, in our day, nothing's changed in the world in 2,000 years. You know, people are driven, they're striving for, they're focused on their position, their power, their prosperity. And Jesus was not about any of that. Jesus was not about, you know, my position, right? In John chapter 6, they tried to force Jesus into becoming a king. And what did he do? He's like, I'm out of here. He wasn't into his position. He wasn't into his power. He wasn't trying to become rich. No, Jesus was just the opposite. While everybody around him, um, not his disciples, but while society around him was all about their position, you know, who can serve me? Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. While everybody around Jesus, you know, was all about uh, their power, I'm a self-made man, you know, I'm going to climb the corporate ladder or whatever, Jesus was just the opposite of that. He said, John 5, 30, I can do nothing on my own. I carry out the will of the one who sent me, not my own will. In our day, in Jesus' day, people are all about riches and prosperity and striving to, to have more, more, more material things. Jesus said, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not have a place to lay his head. And please don't listen to the guy on TV who says that Jesus, you know, had five mansions around Israel. Please. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man does not even have a place to lay his head. And so you might say, well, pastor, okay, you know, I feel like I, I focus too much on my power, my position about getting rich or whatever. What do I need to do? Here's what you need to do. All that stuff's going to wear you out. You need to leave all that behind, and you need to just go to Jesus, and you, you need to become his follower. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am humble and gentle of heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my burden is easy, my yoke is light. And so if you're weary for, from striving for these things, leave it all behind. Become a follower of Jesus Christ, and listen, he'll give rest to your souls. Look at verses 17 now through the end of the chapter. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it's possible, 
as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, verse 20, therefore, if your enemy is hungry, kick him while he's down. No, what does it say? Feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil. Here it is. But overcome evil with what? All right, so how can I have a strong love life? Number eight, final point, is just be good. (laughs) Be good to others, especially when they don't treat you right, especially when they insult you, especially when they gossip about you and mistreat you and hurt your feelings. That's when you overcome evil with good. That, that, that word overcome there, it's a, it's a military term, okay? And so the idea there is that when we overcome evil with good, then we win the battle. But when we, ladies and gentlemen, listen here. Stay with me all the way to, to the end, okay? When we choose to repay evil with evil, in God's eyes, we lose the battle. So the question is, do you wanna win or do you wanna lose? Do you want to be a winner or do you want to be a loser? If you want to be a loser, then get back. If you want to be a loser, then harbor bitterness against that person who hurt you. If you want to be a loser, never talk to him ever again. If you want to be a loser, figure out, figure out a way to get your revenge. But if you want to win, you got to forgive and you got to do good to them. And so look at verse 14 again. He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. The word bless there, in the original language, we get our English word eulogize from that word bless. Eulogize. I was so blessed yesterday uh, going to Jack Kalin's uh, funeral. Some of you guys don't know Jack, but Jack... Uh, was a Jewish man who gave his life to Jesus Christ. And after he gave his life to Jesus Christ, he never missed a Sunday. He sat right over there, 8.30 service, every single Sunday, loved Jesus. And I heard our care pastor, Pastor Bob, do an awesome job um, giving a eulogy, speaking well of this, this, this man's life. Okay? Bless those who curse you. That's what the Bible says. Speak well of them. And so the next time somebody offends you, you say, what do I do? You speak well of them. Do something kind for them. If they're hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, you give them a drink. Well, what's that gonna accomplish? Well, look at the end of verse 20. In so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And you're thinking, yes, I would love to just dump hot coals on that person's head. That's not the idea at all. I had to dig a little deeper this week because I didn't know what that meant, and I had a little help from my friends. And so John MacArthur, um, who's a Greek scholar, by the way, he said that that phrase comes from ancient Egypt. It it points to an ancient Egyptian um, custom. And so in that society long ago, if someone wronged somebody and hurt somebody and they felt bad about it, 
then they would take a pan of hot coals and they would walk around with the pan of hot coals on their head publicly to, as an act of contrition, a, a way to show um, how, how bad they feel, the shame they feel for hurting somebody. And so the idea is, bless those who curse you, do good to those, right, who despitefully use you, uh, feed your enemy, give them a drink, and, and what will that do? Well, when you're, they hurt you, follow me here, when they hurt you and you're kind to them, then hopefully they'll feel ashamed and maybe they'll repent. Or maybe they'll still be a jerk. Who knows? You can't control them. Who's the only person you can control? Yourself. And so I'm gonna end on this note. Look at verse 17. He says, repay no one evil for evil. As I was thinking about that last night, as I was putting the finishing touches on my message, I thought of Jesus. Repay no one evil for evil. And my thought was, man, after Jesus has, had been arrested on the night he was betrayed, and he stood at that trial before the high priest, and, and you know how they began to slap his face? Did you know that when Jesus got slapped, he didn't go right back? When they went spit right in his eye, he didn't go right back into their eye? When they were nailing his wrists into the cross, he didn't curse them out as they were doing that? No, why? He would not repay evil for evil. He overcame evil with good. How did he do that? By dying for your sins. You gotta understand that the Lord Jesus Christ, the Jesus of the Bible, the one that we believe and love in, and love so much, that he was the eternal, wasn't as the eternal God. And he left heaven, and he became a man, and he went to a cross, and he hung and he died. You say, why? Because the Bible says that the penalty of sin is death. So what did Jesus do for you? Here's what he did. You sinned, I sinned, we deserve death, we deserve hell. Jesus got in front of us and said, no, no, I love them too much. I don't wanna be separated from them forever. I'll die, I'll pay. And he sacrificed himself as a spotless lamb of God. He was buried three days again. He walked victoriously out of that grave. He's calling us to follow him. One of the greatest gifts God can give his children is the assurance of their salvation. If you're not sure where you stand with God, we want to help. Visit our website at www.calvarypsl.com. Click on Home, then Knowing Christ.